Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And man, I'm excited because today we have Brandon Todd. He is the CEO and founder of Insura Sales. He's got a ton of experience doing cold calling, using internet leads, just doing all kinds of cool things, growing his insurance agencies and multiple other products and companies that he's created over the years. So I'm excited to have him here. What's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be on here and excited about the things that you're doing. And it's fascinating to see the synergies. And as we're talking to similarities of how your business and the mortgage and the insurance business, how it's almost the same thing to switch out a product. So it's time we start talking to each other. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a lot of similarities in terms of the way you sell things. Obviously people have to qualify, you know, things like that, which is interesting, right? I mean, a lot of industries, they don't have to qualify. I mean, I've even done a lot of insurance marketing in the past, did a ton with health insurance way back in the day. But, you know, now we only focus on mortgage these days, but we just find that, yeah, there is some good synergies with, you know, insurance, real estate, mortgage are kind of pretty intertwined industries. And so, Brand, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your growth to where you are today, just to give people context as to who you are. Well, yeah. So I've been in business 25 years, didn't know what I wanted to do in college, dropped out. My dad was in the insurance business. I had spent two summers cold calling from my childhood bedroom and going out, setting appointments for him and riding with him in the afternoons to go out to those appointments. We'd go to people's homes and sell insurance. And I was in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured out I can make $1,600 a month. And if I sell just a few policies a week and for someone who's making $300 a month in college and didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, that was a good prospect. Sure. That's the beginning. I mean, so at heart, no matter what I've accomplished, you know, multiple businesses, everything else, I'm still a salesperson with a lead trying to get a commission check. That's the core foundation who I am. Some of my main accomplishments, I started the world's first prescription advocacy company, now known as Prescription Lifelines, help people get over a billion dollars worth of prescriptions. Wow. Several businesses in the insurance marketing space, such as Medigap 360, which is the first ever telesales center for Medicare supplemental insurance. Started way back when people were saying that seniors would never get on the internet. Sure. They're still saying that. So I do software development, everything you got to do to build software development, sales development, coaching, and then all the other aspects of growing a large business. And now what I'm doing is taking 18 years of my software and sales ecosystem that we've built, and we've been able to package that up into a company called Insura Sales, and we're making that available to the public for the first time. Man, that's exciting. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's exciting. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, So is this like a CRM? Is this scripting? What does that look like? It's everything. So my father and I were famous for always saying, If I could just get to selling, you know, trying to build a business, if I could only sell, man, I could make some real money, right? Sure. And soon enough, we realized that that's never really going to happen for us, but it can happen for our agents. So we built our entire businesses, you know, looking around, how do we maximize the potential of the individual agent? Because the individual salesperson, I think, is the most important person in our economy today. Sure. They have a skill set that nothing happens until someone sells something, right? Right. And very few people have that skill set to motivate people to take action like the salesperson. A lot of people can do the other stuff. 
So if you can get the best salespeople trained in the best systems with the best community and technology, everything at their fingertips and get them well supported with good qualified candidates and customers to talk to, that's the formula for success. Now that's a lot easier said than done, but if that became our core focus for all this time. So what we've done is we've taken a version of what we have internally from our community, whether it's online or just interactive and coaching and training and our technology CRM agency management system that goes everything from a single agent version to scalable enterprise versions and large call centers and all of that. And we're packaging it up in a box and releasing it to people as a product. So the three things you get, you get technology, you get training and you get community and everything builds around that. I love it. I think I want to touch a little bit on one of the pieces that you talked about, which was if you could only sell more than, you know, you would make the money you want. And I think so many times, and let's just kind of revert this to loan officers in a second or, or any salespeople in general. Yeah. Loan officers and salespeople in general typically are not spending enough time doing sales or revenue generating activities. And then they wonder why they aren't making the commissions and they aren't making the money that they want to make. And so talk a little bit about that and what have you done or what are the systems that you think any salesperson really needs in order to do that? Well, first of all, Anyone who's going to build a business, there's always going to be things other than sales. What I try to do is take that off of people. Sure. But there's always going to be things other than sales. The first thing you do is take everything else that you have in your life and you say, I'll do that after my sales activities are done every day. Mm -hmm. To get motivated for sales is the hardest thing possible because, you know, it, you just don't wake up in the morning ready to sell and you're not on stage. You got to right. warm up. You got to get into it. And if you check your email and if you check social media and if you go do all these distracting things, you start looking at your accounting numbers and who you're going to hire to help you with this. And you get in that, you get in a headspace that will ruin you for the rest of the day. Anything that's creative is going to take your highest amount of energy. So you start that first thing in the morning, you wake up, everything's geared towards sales. Don't check your email, social media, anything until you've made your call, set your appointments and all of that. Once the sales activity is done, then you can allow time to clean up after that. But if you don't start your day like that, you're going to start at half capacity anyway, because you've already dumped that garbage into you and you're not flowing like you should be. So most important things first, that's the best thing I can tell anyone. Start your day within one minute. I teach my people, we come in, we have a five minute meeting tops. When we come in and with one minute of that meeting breaking, they have to be on the phone. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, the day starts right. Love it. Yeah. I think it's huge for people to understand, especially when you're just starting out. I mean, you know, I see so many times loan officers and maybe it's the same in insurance where like the people that are closing two, three loans a month, they get stuck in this perpetual loop of like, okay, they're doing their prospecting activities. They get the loans in the door and then they basically babysit them. So I'm assuming it's going to be kind of similar to people that are lower production. It's like they start to babysit because like this deal needs to go through. Right. So I need to get this deal to go through. And so I'm going to make sure that everything's met and maybe a little bit different because of, you know, the sales cycle with mortgage. You know, they have to go mm -hmm. into underwriting. They have to chase conditions. They start to do all these different things. Yes. Obviously, you want to get the deal across the line, but it's not sales generating activities. So if you've ever read the book, Monatical Prospect, and that's why I wanted to touch on this was like spending your golden hours prospecting, doing the things that are going to make you money and making that one extra call and doing those things that, you know, everybody is avoiding, let's say it's an individual agent for you. How would they structure their day? Is it like the first four hours is sales? Is it eight hours? Is it six hours? Is there any sort of time frame there? How do you kind of structure that? I think that's something everyone has to figure out for themselves. Sure. I mean, you could start work late, you could do anything, but anything that's state dependent needs to have a set start time every day. 
it can have a variable ending time for sure, because you don't know where that ends up. Mm -hmm. But state dependent activity, sales is state dependent. If I need to go boil some water, it doesn't really matter how I'm feeling that well, right? Right. But if I need to make a sale, I got to be in that good state to be able to do that. It's about getting into a routine and integrating your whole life into a pattern where during these times, my daughter doesn't exist. My son doesn't exist. My wife doesn't exist. My prospects exist. My customers exist. Because if you don't have that laser focus, you can't halfway do it and make it work. Sure. So you have to set those times. And then, you know, chasing down requirements and doing all the other things. I know with the mortgage business, I mean, I bought enough houses to yeah. know that, you know, that becomes very cumbersome. And I built my patient advocacy company that was based around chasing requirements too. Sure. So I get that cumbersome stuff, but it's not really state dependent. Once you have the deal signed with the customer, it's going to be really hard. You got to really like piss them off, I guess, you know, for them to leave and to motivate them and all that. But that's not hit or miss. And a lot of it's just detail oriented stuff. So if you do those things in your downtime, you know, but I think the biggest thing I would say about this is it's a state of consciousness and awareness. People look at their business from a small perspective. Sure. I'm looking at this deal, like you said, and I don't want to lose this deal. Well, they're not looking at themselves as a scalable business. Sure. If you look at yourself as a scalable business, you'll see that there's so much energy and activity happening and that these things have to happen every week and every day and every month. And these things have to happen. These things have to happen. And so if you're a sole proprietor, you're by yourself. You have to figure out how to make sure those things happen optimally and consistently. If you do that, then you can actually scale. Only when you can do that can you actually hire people, by the way. But right. if you look at it as a business, like a monthly business or a long-term business, and know that these main things have to be done every day. But what do people do? They come in, they get their coffee. I'm not feeling that something happened. I'm going to go in and I'm going to check my email and I'm going to do some requirements and call this guy and all that. And their day's done, right? Their day's done. And that's the ones who don't grow. Sure. Yeah. And I want to touch again on something else as well as you talked about state and it's something that some of my answers have told me before, but it's like to be an accountant, like you don't really need to be in a certain state. You can do books regardless if you're in a good mood or a bad mood, but sales is ultimately a transference of energy, right? You're transferring your belief in the product, the thing that you're selling, you're saying, hey, this is why you should buy this thing. And if you are in a bad state, you are in a bad mood, you aren't feeling up to par, it's going to be very hard to convince people otherwise because they can feel that energy, right? And I'm not coming from a woo-woo space. I'm just saying like, if you come onto a call and you talk like this, hey, I'm just trying to sell you a mortgage today. Do you want a mortgage? You know, like if you talk like that, it's mm-hmm. clearly you're not going to see the same success. If you come in, you're smiling, you're having a good time, you're enjoying. And so how do you get into state? So maybe you're training new people. I know you said you've built multiple teams. How do you help newer people and then also establish people get into state early and fast? The most important thing I'd say is to have a perfect picture of what your perfect day, your perfect week, your perfect month looks like. Mm-hmm. Because we're human beings, we're volatile, we're emotional creatures and all this. And you have to hold yourself to a standard. Most people will just act and then retroactively justify that in their mind, right? They'll just do whatever they felt like and then come back and say, well, I had to because, and then their brain fills in the gaps. And we all know as salespeople how that works, right? So knowing what that perfect day, that perfect week, that perfect month is, now you have an objective standard. Now, what is your perfect presentation that you're going to make? How does the perfect conversation with your prospect go? 
and all of those. What I teach people is to know those things and create them into systems so you can end up doing the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. And it's not, oh, well, let's see how I react with this customer or that customer. When I get a customer and I bring them into my world where I dominate because this is my world and I know this and I'm not going to let the child run the family, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the expert. I know what I'm doing here. You come in here and let me show you how we do this. Let me get you this information from you. Let's talk about that. And if you know how that goes consistently, then you have something that, by the way, even if you're not feeling good, it's on autopilot. Sure. And that's where the old pros go. I saw my dad after many, many years, 15 years selling the same product when, by the time I came in. He could do the stuff in his sleep, you know, because it's the same routine every time. And he had the same time he started every morning. He did all these things. And yeah, the state dependency. So if something bad really happens, let's say, um, you know, death of a loved one, something sick, big crisis with something you go in, you're not feeling good, but you can automatically, whether you feel it or not, you can automatically just start being on autopilot. And all of a sudden you're engaged and you're on the fight. Sure. When you're in that customer, you have that thing to lean on instead of like, I have to drum this up from inside myself from nowhere. Right. Which is where most people come in. Oh my God, I got a prospect. That's where nervous and mm -hmm. butterflies and all that comes from because they don't know that you know, they don't have that thing that they do. Sure. Right. So you got to get that thing you do. I think that's the biggest help I could be on that is your state will come automatically after that. And sure, do jumping jacks in the morning. Why not? Right, right. No, no, but I, I agree. <laughs> I think that's the thing that people forget is if you have a process or you have a replicatable system, I got a couple of questions here, but the first thing that I wanted to touch on is scripting, right? I mean, you know, based off of that, like most people are so resistant to scripting. So they do things differently every single time. And then mm -hmm. they're like, why am I not getting the same results every time? You're like, well, it's because you're not doing the same thing every time. You're not doing the things that got you the results the first time. So if you want to think about your business and loan officers, you are business owners. Yeah. You may be W2 if you work for, you know, a lender, but that doesn't mean you do not have a business within a business. You need to treat it in a way that is scalable. Mm -hmm. So how do you grow? How do you bring someone else on to replicate what you're doing, you have to create a system that's replicatable, which is scripting. Maybe it's not word for word. I mean, you got to think about it. You're not selling a $500 widget or a $50 widget. Like, yes, it's a framework, right? right. A script is a framework. You don't sound like a robot, but you need to understand that you have to hit certain points. And I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Is having exactly. systems and scripting and presentations and ways that you do things so that like, yeah, even if you are having a bad day, you know, I'm going to have to hit these five points. And if I hit these five points, you know, they're a good fit. They're going to buy, even if I'm not feeling great. Yeah, you'll see agents all the time. They're coming in asking, how do I overcome this objection? How do I overcome that objection? And it's normally they get to the close and say, what do you want to buy? Well, I need to think about it. Well, how do I overcome it? I need to think about it. You don't need to think about it. Well, I do need to think about it because of this. Well, did you know that this and that? And they're in an argument with their customer. Right. At the end, <laughs> what ends up is they didn't do something 30 minutes before sure. that got them into this. The whole tone of everything that happened was the reason that they weren't here and they're stuck having to argue. Now there's ways to get out of that trap that I teach people, but it's not by getting an argument and having a better logical answer than the other right, person. Right. You know, it's an emotional energetic problem. It's not a rational logical problem sure. that you're having. And that's where new people start. But as far as scripting goes, the reason people are resistant to scripting is because they think it takes their individuality out they right. think that that like i'm not a person but if there was a script that could do what a salesperson could do we wouldn't be here at all 
they would have figured that out a long time ago. Right, right. But I'll take it to this. If anyone's listening who's resistant to scripting, back in years 98 to 2002, 2003, really before the internet had anything to do with selling, before even really broadband was coming out, mm-hmm. we used to get these incentive trips. You know, when I was new in sales, you get these incentive trips for insurance companies. And there was no connection or podcasting and all that. So no one knew other people across the country who did their business. Sure. But the top 1% of all producers went to Hawaii or wherever that year. And I noticed something every time we went there to these trips. What we loved is we got to meet other people who did the same thing we did as a business. And we would all talk about how we ran our business and how our presentations were. And they're all 95% the same presentation. Sure. And so what I learned there is there is a truth. There is a way to sell a product. Right. Right. And everyone else is going to individually discover it. And the people who discover that are successful. So if you can take those things and you can put those into systems, then why, if you're not having success, would you not want to follow that system? But then the other side of it is no matter how good that system is, if you're like, Miss Jones, Medicare is divided into two parts, part A and part B you know, something like that, you're not going to sell anything. And if you can't connect and read that person, you know, you can give Tom Cruise a script or you can give Brandon Todd a script for a movie and he's going to be a bestseller. And I'm going to be like sitting over there. Right. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it doesn't take away from you. It actually is a platform on which you can stand. Right. If you have it, as long as it's from someone who's done it and who is currently having success with it. Other things people run into is they get scripts from executives and their big high castles who say, tell them this, and they've never sold anything or talked to a customer. And so that bad experience they get off and keeps them away from it as well. I agree. And I think the other thing you talk about is arguing at the end. And I think what I would call old school sales, I'm putting that in you know parentheses or whatever you call it, <laughs> old school sales is, yeah, having that argument, right? Objection handlers and you know the Grant Cardone hard selling people. And you know again, we're selling something that's not you know like a $50 widget or you know it's like we're selling something that costs a lot of money, insurance, most of the time is a good investment, mortgage, obviously probably the biggest investment people are gonna make in their entire life. And so mm-hmm. you can't treat it as like, hey, you're gonna logically argue someone into doing what you want because guess what's gonna happen? Okay, you get the application, you're never going to talk to them again because they're going to be like, oh, this person just tried to pressure me. Like, yeah, sure. Like I didn't get off the phone, but like, I'm just never going to talk to this person again. It's funny because I just did a training the other day on, you know, how to create an objectionless close and really comes down to having conversations with people and understanding their pain points, things like that. And it's like, there's certain things that, I mean, human psychology is human psychology. People buy for certain reasons. People buy emotionally justified with logic. And so, you know, you talked about that, right? Being emotional and having that emotional connection is more important than having like the logical. Because if you get to the end and you're just trying to logically convince them of something, like it's gonna be pretty hard to do that unless you've done everything else, right? And they're just kind of scared or whatever it is. But again, that's still an emotional issue, right? Yeah, so as a mortgage customer, I can tell you my own frustrations in the mortgage business. And that is most of the people in the mortgage business, just like in any sales, is they have gone in and studied their own lingo and they know their own world. Yes. And they sit there and act like you know it. Right. You know, they'll sit there and talk about the process or whatever, and they'll use the industry lingo. It doesn't even come to mind right now. DTI, LTV, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. And they'll do that real quick, but they just assume that I know. And it's almost like I need to be their boss in order to get a sale. Right. It's like, I know I have to manage them through the sales process if I'm going to get them. 
but they don't know how to communicate. And what that comes back to is a lack of empathy and understanding of your clients to realize, even if you just got in the mortgage business, I had a guy start on one of my sales floors this morning. He was out there talking about, he made a sale his first day. I mean, he works with a mentor, but he made a sale by lunchtime today. And we we're talking about how he was the expert in that conversation, even though he only had read our training a little bit. Sure. His customer hadn't, but he had a mentor to hold him through and all this. It's just that your customer wants to know, they don't want to know all the things you know. They don't want to know all that. They want to know that they're going to be taken care of, but most importantly, that you're capable of taking care of. Right. We don't even care if you like us or understand us and all that. What we want is the interest rate and it to go through. Right. 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 But we want it to go through. So if you can't demonstrate by asking the right questions and demonstrating through that interaction with me that you're capable of handling this transaction. And for someone high net worth person like me, like, and not taking a lot of my time, I need a guy, I need a gal, whatever. I need you to take care of this for me. Call me, I'll get you what you need, but I got stuff to do. Right. Right. For the other people, for lower net worth clients and all that, I mean, they're scared. They just need to feel that there's someone here who will walk them through the process and make sure right. that they understand that the whole time. Yep. Yep. And the only way they'll know that is if you demonstrate that by doing that, by understanding them, asking the right questions, logically saying stuff, don't make sales by doing that. You make sales by asking questions. Well, I think that's huge because again, so many people try to educate their people in the buying and it's okay to educate your prospects and clients, but I think you don't really want to do it on the first call because ultimately what you're doing when you're trying to educate your people is that you're confusing them into not buying. A confused mind does not buy. So if you're confusing them on the initial call, they're just going to be like, well, one, this is too complicated. I knew this was too complicated and it's going to reaffirm their fears that, hey, you know what? This is not for me. And by talking about DTI and LTV and, you know, all these different acronyms that even if you talk about them in not acronyms, debt to income, lifetime, you know, mm -hmm. not lifetime value, but uh, loan to value, I'm talking LTV <laughs> on the marketing <laughs> side, loan to value, anyway. things like that. If you're using those words, they're also going to feel like you're talking down to them too, right? So again, mm -hmm. like the consumer doesn't know anything about anything. You have to think about that in insurance and mortgage and real estate. Like they don't understand this transaction. I mean, unless they're like really, yeah. really well versed and then they just... Again, they're just going to be, hey, what's the rate, whatever. Right. But most people, especially first-time home buyers, they don't understand anything. And so really, like he said, I mean- Can I get the loan, right? Can I qualify, right? I mean, just think about going to a car lot yeah. and you're not a car person and they're like, oh, this has a whatever 7.1 Hemi, da 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 And you're like, what does that even mean? Is it safe for me and my family? Like, And that's the way you have to think about it. Like, <laughs> you know, There's going to be one to 5% right. of people that are going to be super analytical that want all that information. The majority of people are just going to say, hey, you know right. what, is this, I mean, think about Rocket Mortgage. They understand human psychology. They might not be great, but they understand that humans want quick, push button, get mortgage. They understand human psychology. Right. That's what you have to understand if you're a salesperson, leverage that, right? What is it that they're fearing? Hey, it's a complex, I can't qualify. They have all these myths that have happened and you don't necessarily educate them into buying. You show them by asking the right questions why you're different. You're not an order taker. You're actually going to understand where they're at, where their problems are, and where they're trying to get. And if you are the person that can help them with that, great. If not, you can recommend them to go somewhere else, or you can tell them next steps. But as a salesperson, how do you develop those type of skills, right? Because I know it's not just like a natural thing. Most people just want to go straight into pitching, right? Mm. They don't do the discovery piece, which I think is probably the most important part. Always. And they pitch features, benefits, all that kind of stuff, right? How do you develop that in new people? It's a state of consciousness, exactly. Like 
people always think that everyone approach it from the right brain. This is a rational transaction. And honestly, if I'm getting a mortgage, I really don't care about a lot of the things you're going to say, right? I'm going to be right. thinking about, especially on a first time home buyer, like you said, how do I get it? Can I get it? And if you just led me and say, look, let me get this stuff. I'm going to find you the best thing. You're in the right hands. Give me this and that. I need to know these things. Like you said, always any type of sales, anything is discovery. Right. Because then you're not throwing up about all the stuff, you know, you're talking about them and their issue sure. and their problem. And you can tailor the conversation directly to what they need. But then the second thing is leadership. You have to be bold enough to lead. And that's the assumptive sales process. Don't ask them for the order. Don't go through and say, here, here's all the benefits. Can we do business, please? You just say, I got you. Right. I got you. Give me the stuff. Let's go. I'm your guide. You're in the right place. If that's true. Right. And you just lead and go through. So you asked me how I teach that. So I was teaching a uh, agent the other day, came to me with some questions and she was having mediocre success, but she was capable of being a top performer. Her strength was that she was super nice. People loved her. She had great conversations with people and all these things. But her weakness was she wasn't leading in the conversation. Sure. They go off on a tangent. She wasn't bringing them back and all that. And all I did was say, do you have kids? Like, would you let your kids sit there and talk to you for an hour and tell you where we're going this afternoon and all that? Because I found so many people have breakthroughs on that one thing. That's good. I like it. Is, yeah, I do know how to lead. I do know how to lead. My five-year-old, I said, hey, get your butt over here. Get in the car. Get ready. We got to go. Right? All right. You need to start getting ready because in 20 minutes, we're going to be going. So come on. Put your toys away. Let's go. Right. It's a perfect analogy. But what's neat about that is that unlocks something that's already in them. Right. We don't have to watch 500 YouTubes and sign up for mastermind course. Like I am that leader. Oh, it's okay to treat a 75 year old lady like my kid. In this case, yes. In this case, yes, because she is the child in this transaction. Sure. You're the expert. You're the smart person. So you should lead. And if you don't, it's a disservice to you, yourself, her. And the whole community at large, honestly. Right. right. Yeah. And I like that analogy because it does. It simplifies a kind of complex, you know, concept of like, you know, having a leader frame. Like that's really what you need is that leader frame. And if you allow them to go on tangents, you lose that, right? And then they're controlling the call. And if you lose control of the call, like you can't make a sale. And I think the other thing that we're talking about here is the difference between like a salesperson frame and like a preeminence frame, right? Of having like, I'm a leader and I'm going to show you what's the best solution to your problem specifically versus like a sales frame, which is like, I'm going to try to convince you to buy something just because, because it's a cool thing. Did you call that a what? A preeminence frame? Preeminence frame. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. I haven't heard this mindset before but I like it. I think it's the same thing you've been talking about just in a word, right? It's just like, instead of having this, like, I'm going to sell you into something, it's like, okay, well, what are your problems that you're having? And what is the solution specific to your problem that I can assign to you? Even if it's always the same thing for everybody, you're using less external pressure and more internal pressure by asking questions, right? So you're asking them questions that are going to get them to make the decision mm. versus you convincing them to make the decision, if that makes sense. Right. So it's a done deal. If I have this, it's a matter of taking care of it and it's going to be a sale. Right. That's what all your top performers do. If this person's qualified and I'm on the phone with them or I'm in front of them, however it is, this person's qualified to buy and I have something that can help them. It's a done deal. It's just a matter of time. Right. I will not let this thing go. I'm going to do everything right. And I know exactly what to do. 
to make it happen. That's what it is. Right. Instead of the newer people, the people who don't have success come in and say, let me see if this leads any good or not. Uh, and they've already lost the sale because they're going to do that. Sure. Old school Zig Ziglar said the most important part of the sales process is the salesperson. Do you believe yourself that you're going to sell this product? And when you walk in, like you should be shocked if you don't make a sale. Honestly, when you get good, something doesn't happen. You're like, wow, I, one of my chief sales officer got on a call with someone the other day and screwed it up. And he's like sitting there for two days like, how did I, what? Because, I mean, you just don't do that anymore. If you get that kind of confidence, then what happens is you go in there and you're there to do the business and take care of the person. You start being their guy or their gal now right. and taking care of them instead of asking them if you might can possibly take care of them in the future. And then my publicist, actually, you know how I met her? How? We were at a conference somewhere and I'm not really good on social media. I had a problem with my social media account. She grabbed my phone and she just started fixing all my social media. And she started going through all this. And I started talking to her later on. We're at the bar and she's talking and all that. I said, what do you do anyway? She goes, well, I'm publicity, social media and all this. I was like, I need someone like you. Yeah. And so I called her the next week and asked her if she'd come on. I love it. You know, but it illustrates the point that she was fixing my social media. So my mind saw her as my social media person. Right. Right. I saw her doing these things for me. And so it was natural it would almost like hurt to not let her do it continue because she was helping me. And it was just some small little thing. But if you're a salesperson, you go in there, you start demonstrating. And then the next level is to call out what you're doing while you're doing it so that it frames it right. But if you start demonstrating that service that you're going to provide and being great for them, they're not going to want to get off the phone. They don't want to call the next person who's going to fumble over everything that they say and talk LTVs and, right, right. you know, substandard and all this other stuff, whatever y'all talk. Well, and if she would have done something like, oh, well, yeah, the algorithm, this, that, and the other, you would have been like, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I wouldn't have talked to her at all. Right. <laughs> right? So you got to think about that way too, right? Like you don't have to talk about all those things because at the end of the day, the consumer doesn't know and they just are looking for a leader. I love that. You've also built businesses. How do you think about growth? And we talked about this earlier of scaling and thinking about your business as a scalable entity. How do you go about doing that? And I think part of that comes down to leadership, but how do you grow as a leader as well? And how do you think about like growing it that way? Everything you've learned to make a single sale is everything you need to learn in a business. Everything in business is a sale. What I teach people is first of all, scale yourself. And if you scale yourself, and that's the same thing, definable processes. Here's the things I do when I wake up in the morning, it's automatic. I'm going to do these things on these days and these times. And when I go into a presentation, I'm going to do this exact same thing. And you get that figured out. And of course, it's a framework. You don't not going to just play a recording of yourself. It's a framework. It's an interaction, but it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it happens every time. If you don't do that, you have no way to test out anything new, by the way. Sure. So you go watch Grant Cardone and he gives you this good technique and you go watch some other guru on YouTube. He gives you this other technique. Well, you don't have a way to try it out because now you're trying to be them. But if you find that technique, like my signature technique is a recommendation wrapped in a takeaway followed by an order book close. Well, it's some ninja black belt stuff that is easy to learn. But if you don't have a place that something you're doing and you can't take that one thing into a mature process you already have and place it in there and test it then you're going to mess it up anyway. Right. And you can't see the A-B test of that thing into your process, right? And so you get into what a lot of people are doing, which is very problematic in this world, is technique stacking. 
you can talk to some salespeople and they use five techniques on you in the first two minutes. And you're like, come on, man. Like you haven't asked me a question yet. Right. So if you see that you can scale yourself and you have a thing that you do and you get that kind of mindset, you start organizing yourself there. Then you can start organizing a business around it. Well, certain hours of the day after my sales activities, I do all my administrative work. Well, wow. What if I had a part-time assistant who could help me with this administrative work so that I could spend more time in the revenue generating activities? That's the first step. And if you look at every single aspect of your business as a system, those systems can grow and grow and grow as they go. And so you might be wearing five hats at once, but you can start learning how to pass those hats off to different people. Sure. And then you have to see every aspect of your business as a product that has to be managed. What most people do is they see it as a task to do. This has to be done and done, but everything can expand with you if it's managed properly. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah, no, for sure. I think to kind of simplify what you said, I mean, it just comes down to systems and processes. How do you document those types of processes? Are you using a project management tool? Are you using something like that as a Google Docs? I mean, like, what is it like that you do to, you know, again, I mean, you think about a script, like it's documented and you want to follow that because otherwise Mm -hmm. there's a deviation from the process. And as humans, we're going to be prone to deviate from processes if we don't continue to go back to what the process is and say, hey, you know what, these are the things that I need to touch on every single time, including in sales calls. If you listen to your sales calls, you're going to see that you're going to deviate. If you're not following a process, you're going to start to deviate and say, oh, I'm not following this process anymore. So how do you do that in other parts of the business? Let's say paperwork, things like that. Like, how do you document that so someone else can come in? Well, the best way is software. If you can develop software, and I learned how to develop a long time, you can develop. And this is why I don't use outsourced CRMs and outsourced products as much as possible is because most software out there does everything and not the thing I want it to do. Right. And even if I buy a simple piece of software that does the thing I want to do, the way the world's working right now is within six months, it'll do five other things and it'll get clunky and convoluted because everything's integrating and Mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And my biggest thing that I need for myself and everyone who works on my team is focus. Sure. So software, by the way, is the best way. I know you guys in the mortgage process where it's a lot. These things have to come in at the certain times, right? That keeps everything consistent. We do the same thing from our CRM, call management, lead assignment, lead routing, commission processing and payment, like every single aspect of the business, you work it into a system and you say, this is how it works. These are deliverables. These are their outputs. And when you get to where that's really good, like the spreadsheet is exactly what it needs to be, let's say, then you can take that to a software developer and you can integrate a software program into your platform. Sure. And then once that's there, then you automate the inputs instead of them having to do manually, things like that. So software is the best. Any system, anything is better than nothing. Though. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think we overcomplicate things. And, you know, obviously, if you're just getting started, don't think that you have to have a bunch of software. You can easily just create Google Docs, Google Sheets, use those things that are, you know, as long as you have a G Suite account, it's free. Mm. And so you can do a lot of things that way. Loom. Calendars. I use Loom for a lot of things to mm. create. So I'll just do a little checklist on a Google document and I'll just create a Loom video. And then I have someone else on my team actually turn it into a real SOP and ClickUp or Asana or Monday or whatever system or project management tool that you're using. And they can do it and basically take my step-by-step process, but it makes it easy. You do one thing one time and you create the process and then you never have to do it again. Right. Right. If you do it that way. So that's a pretty cool way to grow. But I'd say most salespeople, man, make enough money to find some help. 
Yes. If you're the creative type, there's different. Most salespeople are creatives by nature. Right. They're not organizers. They're not system and process oriented. So it's enough to get them to think about selling in a system. And if you can find your soulmate on that other side that keeps you organized and thinks process, things like that, you know, if you can find that person, you can more than pay for them with the efficiency that they give you if you can close more deals with that time. Yeah, I agree. Sure. I think, and it keeps you in that zone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that's probably the first thing. Find what you're good at. And typically, if you are a salesperson, if you're a loan officer, you probably are going to be good at yeah, making it rain, right? But the details, like you mentioned, I mean, same with you know most entrepreneurs also fall into that same bucket of like, hey, we're creative. We do these things well. But like when it comes to details and tracking and all that kind of stuff, it's not our strong suit. So we kind of avoid it. But if you can systemize it once or twice, and then give it to someone else. You're going to see better success and you're going to be able to grow because if you're always doing these things, you're like, hey, you know what? No one can do it as good as me. So that's not necessarily true. Most of the time, you know, they only have to be 70% as good as you anyway to see success. Well, what I'd say is most organizers aren't creative right. and they have no idea how to build anything. Right. So they need you to think outside of the box and to pull them in that way. But once you've pulled them there, you know, they can catch up and keep it organized. Sure. I used to always say, people ask me about my skill set. I'd say, listen, if you gave me a stack of papers to file this high, this is how I'm dating myself, how old I was, filing cabinets and stuff. I'd say, I'd get that far through them. And then I'd say, you know what? This filing system is so messed up and it has so many inefficiencies and all that. And I'd go over there and I'd tell you the perfect filing system that's better than any company's ever had or anything that's ever had. But meanwhile, that rest of those papers would never get filed, yep. you know, and there's a lot of people who are like that. Most salespeople are like that. Well, it should right. be like this. If you can get that person to yin yang you and say, okay, well, let me understand because there are people out there that's like their dream to work and help organize a creative person. Right. Right. I don't know how you exactly run an ad to find them. It's like all, all things. You just keep kissing a lot of frogs until it makes, right. and you don't try to make someone into something they're not just yep. keep looking yeah and i agree i think it's hard i mean so many times we just pick the first person because we like them but they may or may not be the best fit for the position that we're trying to fill and you know just to kind of close out a little bit here let's say you were to get started again even in insurance sales what would you do today just to give some tactical value what would you do today to go out and get more business if you had to start over today if i was starting over and for any of your audience who's starting over here or just new to sales uh, and entrepreneurship in any way the world is much more complex, ever growing fast than ever before. We have so much information, as good as that is to have so much information and mentorship possibilities and all this, as great as that is, you have to manage that appropriately. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is don't try to go in the ocean and create a wave, go into the ocean and find a wave you can ride on. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier. I like it. So success is very, very hard to achieve. And it's people who have success think it's all about them. But in the essence, you can put two groups of people with similar skill sets in two different rooms and they can do the same kind of things. And one's going to catch that success wave and another one's not. And we don't quite know what all that magic is that happens when it happens. But when it does, it's like a spark that starts a bonfire, right? Sure. So if you can get on that way, find that person that you want to do and then put blinders on. So don't go get 20 mentors. Don't spend a hundred time looking at 20 different gurus. Do that until you find the one guru, the one person, the one system, the one thing that you want to do, and then put blinders on until you make that work. Right. Because 
if you try to put two different guru systems together and integrate it all in, then it's just not going to work. Right. So find one guru, make that system work, put on blinders and make sure it's someone who's done it, someone who's doing it and someone who's having success doing it and the people around them are doing it. If you find that, then you can put on blinders to have success from nothing. You're going to go through all these ups and downs, all these pitfalls. It's going to show you all the deficiencies in your soul and your character, everything else. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to go through that if you want to be an entrepreneur. But if you trust that system, you can put on those blinders and you got a shot. You got a shot doing it because it's there. And if you're up for the challenge and you'll do the inner work, then the success will be on the other side. Yeah. But what most people are doing is just trying to mix 20 systems and you'll be forever a failure if you keep trying. Yeah. I think so many times people try to reinvent the wheel. You know, so much information is available these days online. I mean, we talked about that, right? So much. I mean, you can go on YouTube and find everything. And so you see all the time people that are like, oh, well, I can find it on YouTube. Why would I pay for a mentor or a coach or whatever? It's like, well, yeah, you can find a lot of information about anything online. But what you don't have is Mm -hmm. what is it that actually works? And what is it that works together in a system and things like that? So typically when you're going to find, and you may have to, you know, unfortunately kiss a couple of frogs, maybe there's not going to be, you know, not every person that you work with is going to be the person that you want to work with as far as like a guru or the person that has the success, but find the system that works for you and implement that until it's completion. So many times people are like, oh, I did it for two weeks. It didn't work. Or I did it for, you know, two months and it didn't work. And it's funny because I was just listening to an Alex Hormozzi podcast. One of the things he talked about was that when he first got started, he sent out 300 mailers thinking, oh, that's great. And the guy that was kind of mentoring him was like, how much was your test size? The guy was like, oh, 300. He's like, oh man, I don't do anything less than a thousand. He's like, your test size is a thousand. So how many do you send out on a monthly basis? It was like 50,000 or something like that, right? So it's like, you probably have to do way more effort on that thing and take way more time than you really think to see the success that you're going to see. So be patient with those things too. I mean, invest time. And don't think that something's going to work in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or you know, put at least six months into any given thing mm-hmm. that you're going to, I mean, I'd say that's still short, but you know, at least six months into anything you're going to try, because otherwise, you know, you're probably not going to see the success you're looking for. And I assume you're probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. And I'll just say that it will never work. You will work. If I've learned anything in life, it's that you get who you are. Right. Right. If I am this person with this energy and these activities over a little lag of time, those results will come back to me. Right. If I want to become a billionaire, I better start acting like a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And if I get to where I'm thinking and acting and evolving like a billionaire and all that, it won't happen immediately. But over time, I will become a billionaire sure. because it is naturally there. So people are always looking for the system, the trick. Those things are there if you become them. Right. Though. Right. And that's the hard work that no one wants to do is become what their customers need, become what their business needs. Because in the end, it's you that gets the results. And people think that if I can be what I'm doing now and do the trick, it'll work. Yeah. You have to become the person who's getting the results. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 100% the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, every type of marketing, every type of prospecting works as long as you work it. I mean, you know, people, I'm sure there's people still using Craigslist and eBay and things like that to grow their business or things like what we're doing. So just know that there's someone out there that's making what you think doesn't work, work. So yeah, just put in the work, you'll see success. And thank you so much for being here. This has been an awesome episode. If someone wanted to kind of find a little bit more about you online, learn more about some of your resources, where could they find some more information? Just follow me on insuresales.com. Go to insuresales.com and check me out. 
things we're doing. And yeah, I'm on most social media platforms, Brandon Todd, real Brandon Todd. Look for me there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for me, I mean, for anybody who's listening, I think the two big takeaways for me was, you know, one, systemize your business. Think about your business as a scalable entity, as a scalable thing. Think about like, what is the longevity of my business? What is it going to look like in 10 years? And building the systems into your processes today versus waiting five or six or whatever, however long you want to wait. Oh, now I want to grow. It's like, well, you missed out on all this opportunity to create the systems and then following processes. And then the other thing too, you talked about in the sales process, becoming the leader and showing people exactly the step-by-step process they need to follow is huge. And so you don't have to overcome people with uh, logic. You get to do it by asking them relevant questions that are solving the problem that they have told you themselves they have. So I think those are some big takeaways for me. You know, and then obviously, you know, do the work, find a mentor. That's always good. And so and if you're looking for a way to flip the status quo, if you're looking for a way to grow your business, check out flipthestatusquo.com. We'll show you exactly how we're helping loan officers all over the country flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.